This is Voicemail, the Universal Postal Union's podcast covering the wonderful world of mail. Every month we will bring you all the stories fit to post. I'm your host, Ian Kerr. Each episode of Voicemail offers a postal story from around the world. We will speak to the people who deliver the mail, the decision makers that influence the sector, and those who work so hard behind the scenes to help things move from A to B. Through personal reflection, anecdotes and insights, we'll look at how the post forms an essential part of the United Nations and its efforts to support sustainable development. The mail is truly a global service, and the UPU, the Universal Postal Union, is the international body that brings the postal world together. Voicemail is part of that spirit of global cooperation. We have an exciting and diverse range of guests lined up for the coming episodes of Voicemail, and in a few moments, I'll be joined by our special guest for this episode, Thomas Elman from DHL, to talk about DHL's role in distributing the COVID-19 vaccines. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform to make sure you get each episode as it is released. For more information on voicemail, visit the UPU website at upu.int, upu.int, and follow the links to the voicemail podcast. So coming up in just a moment, Thomas Ellman from DHL to talk about distributing the COVID-19 vaccines. I'm joined by Thomas Elman. Thomas is Vice President, Life Sciences and Healthcare at DHL. We're going to get stuck into a big discussion about the world-famous vaccine. Well, there are a number of vaccines, aren't there, Thomas? But we're going to talk about the distribution of the vaccine and the logistics behind it. But before we get into that, Thomas, you're part of the giant that is Deutsche Post DHL. So let's start off with a postal question. What are your earliest memories of the post, whether it's a postman or the post office? Just tell us a little bit about your early involvement with the post. Yes, yes, sure. Um, pleasure, Ian, and thank you for the opportunity here for the podcast. So when I remember back on the post, I mean, my very, very early experience is obviously when I was a child, the post was like the office. I went once a week, probably with my mom, to buy some stamps and some to pick uh, up or to bring some parcels or even at those days to order a new telephone, stationary telephone, for those who still remember that. That's obviously a long time ago. Uh, so I'm with the company now since uh, 2007, and now what was the German Post has turned into a global company uh, with more than 500,000 employees covering 220 countries in the world. Wherever you arrive with an airplane, you see a yellow DHL plane uh, standing next to the runway, and obviously we're covering the planet and we're enabling global trade. And obviously that's a topic for today's podcast is uh, we play a quite significant role in life science logistics. So big change from the early childhood memories. So tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are and what led you. You said you've been with the company since 2007. What led you to be in, yeah. the, in this particular sector? 
So basically, all of my career, I was working in logistics. Uh, when I left university, I was with a couple of consumer goods companies, chemicals companies, and so forth, always part of supply chain and logistics. And then there were some changes in 2007 and uh, changes at Deutsche Post DHL as well, where they were looking basically to people to equip their life science um, functions in, uh, at that time, it was the European Road Freight Division. So I started there and I was covering industry sectors, life science and chemicals. And since ever then, I've been working in life science logistics and quite enjoying it. And right now I'm in a, a group which is called Customer Solutions and Innovation. That is in the first place, the group's uh, global key account team for the top 100 customers. So uh, where we have five different industry sectors of which life science is one. And the other mission of that team is basically to develop together with the division solutions and services that are making sure that our customers in the marketplace are successful and remain successful since we're picking up the latest industry trends and needs and we come up with solutions and services to support our customers. And so this, the sector that you're working for, this uh, DHL's life sciences, healthcare and chemical sector, it's, it's an established part of DHL. So how long has it been part of the DHL operations? So the sector approach was coming up more than 15, almost 20 years ago. And within the life science sector, we basically starting it off in 2001. We have founded um, annual industry conferences where we're sitting together with our customers, where we listen to their needs and learn from them and see what are the market trends. And together with our customers and based on their input, we basically started to develop uh, solutions, be it in air freight, in ocean freight, in the web housing uh, in road freight tailor-made to these requirements. And that basically has led us where we are right now. And the life science sector within Deutsche Post DHL is more than 9,000 people uh, running a global infrastructure and serving our customers around the world. Let's turn now to the pandemic. When were you first aware of the, the emerging pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic? What were your initial thoughts when you first heard about it? Well, honestly, probably a good year ago now, in, in January, February uh, 2020, the pandemic, as likely most for all of us, was something that happened in the province of Wuhan in China and that felt very far away, right? And we were wondering, will that ever come to Europe? Will that ever affect our dealings? And then a couple of weeks later, it did affect us because all of a sudden then we were involved in um, sourcing uh, PPE material, masks and gloves um, on behalf of customers or governments and organizing emergency shipments and charter flights from China into Europe, into Africa, into North America. And all of a sudden, the whole issue was very present also in the Western world. And that is when we basically started to see the consequences of it, right? And that was basically in springtime. And then summer, um, the company had the decision to basically create a white paper around the whole issue. And so I am one of the co-authors of that white paper that we've launched in September. And um, we basically 
that created a lot of discussions also with manufacturers, with governments, with NGOs. So for last year, we were going into more concrete planning. Uh, we founded a global task force that basically dealt with the issues on how to support our customers, the pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, on one side, or how to support governments and NGOs in a successful distribution of um, the vaccine. And well, a year has passed since then, since this is all started. Uh, still a lot of companies are developing new vaccines. On the other side, a lot of countries now see the, well, second, third, if not fourth wave of the pandemic. Um, we basically serve now the world with vaccines and with other ancillaries um, needed to administer a vaccination to a patient as well. And that keep that pretty busy in the last five to six months. And you, we all know that there are a number of vaccines out there at the moment with their own needs and their own requirements, I suppose. So can you just talk us through some of the technology or infrastructure that DHL has introduced specifically for distributing the COVID vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that was really new to us were the new temperature requirements for some of the new vaccines that came to the marketplace. When um, I basically grew up in life science logistics, vaccines was always something that need to be stored and shipped at plus two to eight degrees. But now we have new vaccine, we call it delivery mechanisms like the mRNA or the viral vector. And because of absence of stability data, Basically, people said, well, this needs to be long-term stored and transported at minus 70 degrees Celsius or minus 20 degrees Celsius. And also manufacturers, obviously, as they, as they basically continue to collect long-term stability data or improve their formula, see this as kind of a moving target. So for us as logisticians, that required basically to rethink the way we store and transport goods. Um, we basically looked at our systems in terms of the capabilities to have uh, long-term storage from minus 70 degrees. Uh, because of that, we invested in ultra-low freezes in a couple of different countries. We basically also looked at our systems and the capability in order to ship significant number of shipments with dry ice because dry Dry ice is seen as a dangerous goods, especially on a plane. So we started to train people to write SOPs, to document what needs to be done and prepared basically for the delivery of the first vaccines. And um, I think that is something that we adapt going forward. And right now we're serving basically all approved vaccine manufacturers here in one way or the other. Um, so actually we have learned together with our customers a lot to basically bring in place what needs to be done to have a um, effective delivery of the vaccine around the world. You just mentioned dry ice being a, a classified as a dangerous good. And I want to ask about that and the air cargo capacity aspect, because certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about the lack of air cargo capacity. What are you seeing now in terms of the availability of uh, capacity in aircraft? And how are you also overcoming the safety issues that might be associated with storing these vaccines at a very low temperature? 
Sure. Well, ob obviously, as a first thing, we do not compromise on safety. And um, our experts and operations dealt a lot with establishing all the right procedures and upgrading of the IT system in order to ship um, dry ice successfully on plane. I think air freight capacity, since a lot of passenger aircraft remain, are grounded and remain grounded, is still tight. But I think the issue is different from maybe a year ago when PPE was sourced solely almost out of China into Europe, Africa, and US, where a lot of charter flights need to be ramped up. What we see right now is that with the vaccine coming to the market, obviously they are produced out of different regions in Western Europe, in North America, in India, Russia, China. So it's spread all over um, the globe. And also the time these vaccines come to the market is also a little bit spread over a longer period of time that so far basically air freight capacity can be managed in order to serve the needs of our customers. And we basically do that in a combination of both. We have our global forwarding division that works with a number of um, airlines who are our partners in the shipment of temperature-controlled pharmaceuticals. That's one. And then on the other side, we obviously have our own express fleet with almost 300 own planes that carries... Um, a lot of those vaccines that are basically shipped directly to the point of usage and are shipped in a more parcel-sized format than pallet format. So, so far, uh, and with the great support of all the colleagues in the divisions, we have been able to manage basically these requirements. Now, obviously, we've talked about the the temperature requirements of uh, of the vaccine. How else has this distribution of this particular vaccine, the COVID vaccine, differed from distributing other vaccines or pharmaceuticals? Well, obviously, there are always vaccination campaigns going on. But just to explain you a little bit, the sheer magnitude and the volume of the COVID vaccine that now needs to be shipped. Um, our numbers show that at any given average year, there are probably 2.5 to 3 billion doses of vaccines that are shipped around the place. In order to reach that herd immunity of close to 8 billion people on the planet and looking at the fact that a lot of these vaccines need to be um, administered twice, we calculated a number of up to 10 billion uh, doses. Some people now even say it's up to 15 billion doses. So this is an activity that will uh, basically keep all of us busy, not only this year, but also uh, throughout 2022. And now some people even estimate it will reach into 2023. So it's a huge volume that needs to be managed. That's one. Um, then secondly, Obviously, we have the temperature regime of minus 70 degrees. We manage that with dry ice. We have also installed some additional measures in our operations that now we have online supervision of the temperature and the location of the vaccine, um, something that is basically coming new to our service offering as well. Um, I think the industry in the past so far was 
uh, happy with passive loggers, where the temperature record could be read out at the at the consignee at the destination. Now, online tracking becomes more and more a requirement of the marketplace and our customers. Obviously, that brings up additional technology challenges in terms of the logger needs to be approved by EATA and by the airlines in order to do this, right? Because it's in essence a cell phone that keeps on recording and sending while it is on the plane. So a lot of these technical challenges we basically looked at in the last couple of, of, of months and found successful solutions to them. You mentioned earlier that this is a, a truly a global effort not just from DHL, but from everybody who's responding to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Part of this is getting vaccines into some r- rural and remote parts of the world, some very isolated regions that still require to be to receive shipments of the vaccine. What are some of the challenges that your team has faced when it's come to dealing with delivering vaccines to isolated and rural areas? Yeah, absolutely. It is a challenge. And we saw that even at the beginning of the deliveries, it might be even a challenge for the more developed parts of the world because minus 70 degree freezes are not always and everywhere available. So that even more counts for the low and middle income countries and parts of the world. We are in close discussions with NGOs and with governments in those regions. We have basically services in our global network that cater for bringing the material into the main city, the capital or the capital airport, bring it to the customs clearance, depending then on the scope um, of our activities. It is very often a handover either to the government or to the NGO. Bringing these products into hinterland, I would say, is a challenge and can only be mastered if there is a sufficient infrastructure. And obviously, packaging um, uh, plays a big role in this whole game as we have services where, for instance, we deliver the product that is secured by dry ice and then have a replenish shipment as well with dry ice to basically allow people to re-ice these products and keep them within the given temperature range um, in the absence of maybe a stationary freezer. And we see some of these things are just now starting, basically. You see pictures of product arriving in areas of Africa and Latin America, which is great because it's a great deal and relief for the country there as well. There will be more volumes to be shipped there. Obviously, people are looking more at volumes that need to be um, stored and chipped at plus two to eight degrees, which is the kind of normal temperature range and something those countries are comfortable in dealing with. But it remains a challenge in certain places, and it can only be mastered by a close collaboration between all parties involved, the pharmaceutical manufacturer, the logistic service provider, the government, and also the NGO. Tell us about uh, the COVAX facility. How did DPDHL become involved in the COVAX facility? Well, COVAX is um, obviously the alliance that caters for the procurement of now 2 billion 
uh, doses of vaccines under WHO and, and handled by UNICEF. So we are a partner in that setup as well. We have other uh, pro bono activities with the WHO, with our Go Trade and, and Go Help initiatives. So there is already a long-lasting, strong relationship. And obviously now in the challenge to support WHO and UNICEF in the shipments of these vaccines, um, we also um, want to contribute in our um, area of, of competence. So we have uh, people who are seconded basically to support the UNICEF, uh, be it in their logistics head offices or in their regional setup. So we see that as part of our obligation also to, to support here in the distribution of the vaccine for these parts of the world. Thomas, I understand that DHL is also handling local storage and distribution of vaccines. Can you just share some information about that? Yeah, I mean, next to the global transport, in parts of the world, we also step in when it comes to local storage and uh, distribution and executing basically the last mile to the vaccination center. And a couple of examples I can mention because some of these things are a little bit sensitive and confidential is that um, here in uh, Germany, we cover three out of um, the federal states of Germany where we not only ship the vaccine, but also the ancillaries. Um, we have a similar job also in parts of Spain or in Brazil. In the UK, where we work closely with the NHS, we basically ship everything but the vaccine. The vaccine, for some other reasons, are handled by the wholesalers, but we basically do everything else, the syringes, the, 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 the needles, the wound care material, the test kits, uh, even down to uh, furniture to basically equip vaccination centers in the UK. And the UK is very fast in the whole vaccination. We have other parts in the world in APEC. I would like to call out Japan and Australia, where we also work closely with the governments and we step in in distribution down to the vaccination center which is obviously a completely different task than global transportation. But I think in a nice um, uh, cross-BU work between our divisions in global forwarding, supply chain and express, we can also basically cater and provide services for that part of the vaccine supply chain. One final question then, Thomas, before we... We wrap up because it's been a fascinating conversation about how the logistics and delivery sector has been able to help the world respond to this pandemic, to this crisis. But if we, if we sort of, I know it's difficult when we're in the middle of things to ask a question like this, but if we look forward now, do you feel like there are lessons that we've learned in the logistics and the delivery sector that will hold us in good stead should the world ever be threatened again by another sort of pandemic? Um, yes, definitely. I think we learned a lot on the technology side of things and how to handle these extreme temperature requiring vaccines uh, on large scale. I believe now looking back five, six months, so in preparation started in fall and the first shipments uh, that we have executed were in mid-December. I think in a lot of countries in the world, the vaccination programs are about to start and the large volumes are still to come. 
I believe also that we're hearing every day in the news about these different mutants. And some vaccines are more uh, efficient against these mutants than others. And vaccination development also continues. So I believe this whole thing will keep us busy also in the months to come. And I believe as well there is a lot of insight now that it is not a question on if the next pandemic will somehow hit us, but probably other things will come in future to us. And a lot of governments are now having preparations to become more resilient, to basically plan ahead, to select their also logistic service partners upfront to basically get prepared when a next crisis is coming up, or basically first and foremost to bring us over the well, the next months of the current crisis as well. So I believe pe people are working closer together now as well. And I think that will help us to become stronger in that whole community to fight more effective against the pandemic. Two great points there about resilience and collaboration. And I, I have to wholeheartedly agree. I feel like this is a key part, that logistics will be a key part of collaboration and resilience for nations and the world for whatever we have to face in the future. Thomas Elman, Vice President, Life Sciences and Healthcare at DHL. Thank you very much for joining us on the UPU's voicemail today. Thank you very much, Ian. Great pleasure talking to you. Have a good day. Stay safe. You've been listening to Voicemail, the official podcast of the Universal Postal Union. Subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. My thanks to the team at the UPU for their help putting together this episode. I'm your host, Ian Kerr, and I look forward to your company next time on Voicemail, the podcast of the UPU. Voicemail.